have to tell you, the last few days I have been consumed, consumed by the smooth tones of Danny Wrench analyzing Alpha Zero. I am not even gonna I, lie. I was, I was wondering where you were going with that. And, I'm not gonna uh, lie. Ye- yesterday I was watching a YouTube video analysis of Game Nine of Alpha Zero versus. Game nine? D- yep. Um, game nine, which was uh, a French opening, which you got very excited about. And uh, even Heather from the other room was like, are you okay? Like, is someone talking? Like, what is happening? Because you were so, like, excited and, like, she thought that something was going on. I don't know if you and I sound very similar or what, but she was a little concerned because every time that she – I would turn, I would I would be staring and watching um, – watching one of these videos and I've been consumed by it. And what's, what's interesting is we talked a lot about it last week, but your, the analysis were one super fun. I will tell you, I actually, I really preferred the, um, top moves, like, like, uh, all of them together in one video. That was fun. I even watched that after I watched all the game breakdowns, which was really entertaining. I couldn't get enough. So I don't know if it's just me being consumed by this analysis or what, but I will have to say, uh, hands off applauding. Cause I'm very impressed. All right. Well, I, I really appreciate that. And I, I will say that, uh, preparing those videos was so, so you and I talked about it last week and, and the, uh, alpha zero defeat of stockfish took the chess world by storm, but, uh, preparing those videos was a ton of fun. And I, I think that, I think that they've been received really well. And it, it's actually funny because I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because regardless of the content that we delivered and, and, you know, so we've got this full game breakdown, which is supposed to be, you know, a little more educational, a little more in depth and detailed than I, I kind of did that highlights version for my own YouTube channel. But what's really ends up happening in these comment threads is the debate between well, I mean, there's there's the there's troll contributions. We'll say I hate using that word, but they do exist um, on mm. YouTube. Troll comments that are just antagonizing, and then there's some really insightful discussion going on about what really happened with Alpha Zero's uh, destruction of Stockfish. How much of it may have been based on you know a more powerful hardware setup combined with apparently some small. I don't want to say um, subterfuge. Is that a word? But uh, some some small like maybe misleading in regards to exactly what Alpha Zero's prep was. Because the most mind-blowing aspect of this is that this was an engine unlike anything else, right? Because it was self-taught. It was organic learning. It was machine. It was true artificial intelligence and in that it was taught the rules to play and then hooked up to some super powerful stuff and said, go for it, big guy. And it played itself, you know, a million, millions of times and, and got better than the world's strongest chess engine really fast. I don't think any of that has changed. Yeah. But apparently there was a little bit more assistance in terms of of, you know, some of the initial starting point as far as uh, what what it accesses in its depth uh, from previous, call it opening books, which people who don't know, there's a thing called the ECO, which is this encyclopedia mm-hmm. of chess openings and kind of documents, you know, all the games that have been played previously. Um, and... Anyway, so I, I really appreciate that. We'll, we'll obviously include some links to these videos. I hope some of our, our our fans who are not into chess will consider checking it out because it's such an interesting topic. But I'm also going to preview Mots and say that we have now connected. I'll, I'll, I'll say two things because I want to keep it secret because we're okay. about to release a big kind of research paper on this. But here's Danny. Here's out. Danny How. Here's Danny How. By the way, I don't, I'm not going to announce anything because I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want to pre-announce anything. But let me announce it right but now. But let me announce it. That's exactly right. <laughs> so here's what's happening. We so we reached out to DeepMind's team, and, and I'm not throwing Google's, uh, you know, the acquired company DeepMind under the bus, and the, I'm sure they're getting 
tons of inquiries, but we are also like the world's biggest chess platform and audience, right? And so they have not really given us any information to some of our more, um, you know, in, in interrogating questions. And we, we have somebody who is sort of a specialist in the field preparing to release an article that sort of dives into what really happened here. What's the truth? What are the rumors and all this stuff? So I'm pretty excited for the material. And for those who follow chess.com's daily articles, they can, they can sit on the edge of their seat for that coming your way. I am. I'm really interested because I, there's a few things that stuck out to me. So let me give you the James uh, not good at chess not not really uh not Dude, an international this is what I live master. For. I love this. I love this. Go. So what I noticed about each game that you analyzed was that um Alpha 0 always won as white. So that's the first thing that stuck out in my mind because I do think that there I don't know if there is an advantage of going first of being white or black um on the board, but I will say that is interesting from my point of view to say in this one scenario, it, it won this way. And right. the, game nine is the final game that I watched, and I believe it's the only game that opened different. Yeah, uh, it was the than, only game that was an E4 opening with the French. Everything else was a was a D4, Queen's Indian of some kind. Queen's Indian of some kind. And what was interesting is it seemed as though what Alpha Zero uh, decided, I don't know if it was, you know, I think that, I think how Stockfish was developed in a way, it seemed to be more by the numbers. And what I mean by that is by the number of points on the board of the chess pieces. And this is what I'm watching. And kind of your analysis helped me figure this out, where Alpha Zero is like, I don't care about these numbers. I'm just going to, it seemed like what Alpha Zero wanted to do was trap. How can I trap their pieces Stockfish's pieces in a corner. And I notice this of every single game is that somehow the world's best chess engine got all of its pieces stuck in a corner. You know who put Stockfish in a corner? Alpha Zero put Stockfish <laughs> First of all, in a corner. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Nobody. Nobody. Puts baby in a cor- no, but yeah, you're right. Nobody. I mean, <clears throat> honestly, that assessment is was really shocking. And it's one of the things that led to some accusations that Stockfish at a different depth, given more time. Um, and, and so one thing that has been confirmed, I will say on that note is Stockfish has a, a feature that pretty much all the best engines have. Um, and, and it's called, uh, what is it? I'm, I'm not a super expert here and I, we won't spend all day talking about this, uh, listeners, I promise, but it's, it's a dynamic, it's a dynamic uh, sort of uh, line uh, distribution, meaning that it, as it's in this sort of depth, it's seeing five lines to 24 moves deep, right? It has a dynamic way that at a certain mark, at a certain amount of time think uh, thought through, it's able to sort of parse out the type of positions that are occurring in all of these different lines that are the similar position. The reason that's a huge advantage is because very often, you're considering five moves, but as you get down the line and both sides are playing their best moves, you realize that they're kind of all the same option. And because if, if they all play the best moves, we're going to reach the same position, what's called a transposition in chess, right? So mm. um, a very simple way to think of, think of it in the beginning of the game, white plays king pawn e4, black plays e6, white plays queen pawn d4, black plays d5. Now reset, start the same, start a new game, white plays d4 first, black plays d5, white plays e4, black plays e6. We just reached the same position through a different move order. So mm. 
that dynamic functionality that has been built into Stockfish's sort of software and, and its approach doesn't kick in until a certain amount of time is allowed to think. And apparently the, the time limits per move they were both given was like 60 seconds per move. And apparently Stockfish needs 90 seconds or something for that dynamic aspect to mm. kick in. I, I don't, again, I'm speaking a little bit out of turn in the sense that I don't fully understand, but I know that that has been confirmed that maybe Stockfish wasn't at his best. It's still doesn't take away from the amazing feat. And, and really, this is where, to our non-chess audience, James, the, the, the implications of this are perhaps most interesting. It doesn't change that what Google has done with DeepMind is essentially taught it the rules of a game and, and then allowed the AI to go from there and take approaches that none of us could ever foresee simply by... Uh, basically learning through experience, no vicarious learning, none of us spoon feeding. And, and that's really, I think the biggest implications occur if that, if that approach. So what did they do? They taught it the rules to chess, right? Well, what if they teach it the rules to day trading? What if they teach it the rules to, um, you know, like weather tracking or something, right? You start to, yeah. you start to wonder the implications as far as what machines can do in this sort of self-taught way. And I think that's where, you know, that's why, you know, um, the article we wrote was actually on the uh, on the top of Hacker News when we released uh, the first uh, kind of big news story from the chess angle about it. And I think that that's where people are really interested is what are the implications here? And uh, anyway, so there you go. That's kind of the full circle of where we're at at the end of the day with this thing. Now, can I ask you something? Because I'm actually reading the 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 YouTube, actually not the, not the YouTube article, but the Wikipedia article has some really interesting statistics on this game and the breakdown, which right. is... Stockfish was allocated 64 threads and a hash size of a gig. What was interesting is Alpha Zero is actually on Google's custom, they call them TPUs, which are tensor processing units, which are the machine learning processor units. They're very uh, complex and awesome. And you are correct. Like they were only given one minute each per move. So my question to you is, how did you guys uh, in November, so last month at chess.com, when you held the computer chess tournament, how did you tune Stockfish and Houdini in the final? Like what was, what to chess.com when you were doing the, the, all the engines against each other, how were they tuned, I guess? Because to me, it seemed like so, maybe yeah. Stockfish versus AlphaZero. AlphaZero is tuned to a hundred, but Stockfish is tuned to 90%, not tuned, right? Because it's still tuned at a hundred right. for its full optimal experience. It needs that 90 seconds, right? So how did well, you guys and, do and, it? And it's honestly, um, I'll, I'll answer that directly and say in, in one way, it's also, this isn't a bad thing for the Stockfish, mm. you know, which has, Stockfish has a ton of amazingly brilliant people contributing to it. It is the world's really only open source engine. They get a ton of donated, basically CPU power. So I know Stockfish will learn from this anyway. And there's already been discussion that this isn't necessarily a bad thing. It points out a weakness that there is a chance for for uh, a dynamic sort of recalibration of the lines considered earlier in Stockfish's thinking. So that's one thing that maybe this isn't a bad thing. Call it instead of saying Alpha Zero, you know, took advantage of it. You could say Alpha Zero exposed a weakness, maybe. Right? That's another way to look at it. Um, but to answer your question, we reached out to all the developers in the the CCCC, the Chess.com Computer Chess Championship, and allowed them to submit a more optimized version of their software for the rapid time controls. And, and we chose rapid because, one, it, it, it gave our event distinction over other computer events that have just given these things unlimited CPU time oh, and see. power. Yeah, that's that's right. not a very entertaining show, right? Um, and, and we also allowed them to submit something that was custom, and eventually that led to 
they all, I believe that there were submitted custom, I don't remember whether they all did that or not, but ironically, you know, even in the bullet, Stockfish did eventually win the, the CCCC, right? So clearly it still was considered stronger and faster time controls over Komodo, Houdini, and all the other top, whether monetized or not, engines. So, you know, it, it is true that Stockfish was still the strongest engine, even if it did lose to Alpha Zero in that format. So again, I sound like I'm defending Alpha Zero, but I think it's worthy of noting for the haters out there who think, you know, this is all a bunch of, you know, a bunch of BS, so to speak. I think that that's not true. I think that's the fact that it beat, you know, what was previously considered the world's strongest chess engine, certainly open source engine, um, is, is a fact. And, you know, where we go from here, I leave to you. Hashtag yeah. Morpheus, hashtag Neo. Boom. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I am really interested to see because as quantum computing kind of is around the next quarter corner, uh, I should say, and even us at Microsoft, we're actually offering quantum computing as a service. So, you know, right now when you're like, hey, I'm going to go into Azure AWS and I'm going to go get a machine and I want it to be, you know, this biggest, you know, craziest thing. I think that you guys used for your chess tournament a hyper-threaded Intel Xenon 2.9 gigahertz uh, with 18 cores and 60 gigs of RAM on a Windows machine. Thank you very much. Um, not an Azure and AWS. I see how it is. But anyways... Um, you could actually just go and say, I would like a quantum computer. Can I get a quantum, a computer, quantum computer to By play? The way, this, I don't <laughs> know what that means, but it's amazing. The, this whole talk and the fact that I've already mentioned the one and only Keanu Reeves makes me realize, have you seen the, have you seen the quantum chess video? No. Oh my gosh, dude. It has, uh, it has, uh, uh, Stephen Hawking, Keanu Reeves, numerous other celebrities in it. Uh, who's the guy that plays Ant-Man again? Paul Rudd? Paul Rudd. Okay. I'm I'm going to share a link. I'm going to share a link to it in the show notes here, and then and you'll watch it before next week's episode. But quantum chess is actually a real thing that is oh my goodness. Uh, has rules. It's not really po- if you just Google quantum chess right now, you'll find it. But don't don't watch it right now. Um, it's hilarious. It's a hilarious video, and it was sort of done. Um, in honor of this sort of lifetime achievement award that was coming to Stephen Hawking at the time as, as kind of a spoof and some fun. But it really was kind of cool exposure for chess and was really, um, went viral on Reddit. This was a couple of years ago. So, um, I have to talk about Keanu Reeves contributing to the, uh, the super hilarious and viral video about quantum chess where Paul Rudd and Stephen Hawking engage in a battle for the fate of humanity over quantum chess. Yeah. And, uh, Anyway, so don't don't do it now. We'll share the show notes. No, but that, yeah, I, I just had to, I had to shift gears there and move into pop culture because uh, I can't I can't not mention a, a Keanu Reeves contributed uh, project ever. It's like a thing in me. I have to do it. Well, you know, talking about Keanu, um, have you seen John Wick? Have have you have you experienced John? Yeah, Wick? Yeah, we talked. You talked about this a little bit ago. Oh, the answer right. was no. I have not, but I aspire to see it on a guy's night, maybe. It's so okay. So. So Heather and I, I will bring it back in case. So to recap, John Wick is I was listening with Heather to Call Your Girlfriend, which is a great podcast. And they were mentioning Keanu um, in John Wick and how they loved it. And I was like, well, that's crazy because it's an action movie and like Keanu, like, I mean, I'm not, I was, I was a huge Keanu fan, but then like in there was some stuff, there was some stuff going on. right? Right. And I'd always heard of it. I never went to go watch it. So I went to go watch it uh, with Heather and she got real excited. And it was really good and like, really pulled you in. But then spoiler alert in the very first like opening That's, act. I know or what, about, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the infamous animal slaying. There's an animal slaying and Heather goes, nope. Like, like there was nothing else in the entire John Wick one or John Wick two, but she goes, nope. Yep. And, uh, and it, and it, and it wrecked her. So, um, 
But, you know, I, I went through and, of course, I finished the one. And I go, I got to watch number two. And it was even better than the first one. It was crazy. So, you know, if you're going to maybe even have a guy's night by yourself, that's okay, too. Treat yourself. Um, get some John Wick action. I don't get many guy's nights to myself. I'm hoping that one day my boys grow old enough that I can have guy's <laughs> nights with them without it being weird. Um then again, I am a young a young dad, so I have to. I have already let them see the Matrix. Like that's a guy's night we've had, right? And the Matrix, by the way, was like rated R, but there's like, oh, right. there's nothing there's nothing in it besides cursing. I guess there's a couple. Yeah, I, I I don't understand the way they rank them then and now. Um, because I I kept thinking like I'm not letting them see Matrix Two because there's that scene of massive human gatherings and a word you know, that we would ascribe to that. And so we don't want to, I don't want to go that far, but they really liked the matrix. I kind of talked to them about kind of the significance of the contribution, you know, and mm -hmm. they love when we do that. Like we've had the similar guy nights. We've watched Napoleon dynamite where I say, Hey, this is really important humor. You need to get, you see how subtle and weird that is. That's you have to understand humor, it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then I, then we watch Ferris Bueller's day off and I'm like, do you get it? Do you get that every once in a while, you just have to stop and look around or you're going to miss life. Do you get it? Right. So I, I, I often teach life lessons through subtle, sarcastic, and subliminal humor via movies, um, and that's kind of my, my my jam. But but we haven't, you know. So John Wick's not going to be a, in a lone dad night anytime soon. That's why it has to be with other dudes. It has to be like yeah. another dude, like yo, dude. And then I'm like, dude. Well, so so since we're on the eve of Star Wars, then it, you know it's happening. We sure are. It's, it's happening. Coming. By the way, it's coming up. Um, what are your plans? Do you have plans? Are the kids, are they excited? Are they over? I mean, because yet again, Star Wars is absolutely everywhere that I can possibly, yeah. not as much maybe as the last two years, but it's still in the Target stores absolutely everywhere. And I'm, you know, I'm excited, but I guess I'm not, I, I don't know. I don't want to say I'm not overly excited, but it's almost, is it too much? I don't know. There can never be too much Star Wars, but maybe there's too much Star Wars. Like what is your plans and excitement level at this point on the eve I'm, of Star I'm Wars? probably... No, there's no way I can say that because my actions do not speak as loud as my words. <laughs> I was going to say I'm almost more excited now than I was for The Force Awakens. That's not true because I, I waited in line for like six hours with a bunch of buddies. Speaking of guys night, like me and Mike and jo uh, Josh and Luke, and we all went. And it was awesome because there was a Rubio's there. So people would stay in line. We would go drink beers. Never mind. That's a whole other story. Um, but so I'm not doing that this time. So obviously I can't say I'm as excited, but... I'm interested and intrigued at where this is going. You know, is Luke going to die in this? Like, what what's happening with with him being with there being a last Jedi? Is it? I told you my theory that the bigger picture realization is that this is really about recognizing that the separation of light and dark is an illusion in the Force, and it's all about finding balance within yourself. This is just a spiritual theory by Pop Bear over here, but um, that's why there's a last Jedi because Luke's theory is going to be that the Jedi were wrong, the Jedi were bad because they created the separation. That I'm telling you, that's just like totally in my brain but here's what i'm doing i got warner on the edge of his seat reminding me every day that star wars is coming <laughs> nash has been focused on basketball so he you know tryouts were this week and and so we haven't been he hasn't been as into it but we're probably about to unleash the bombshell on the kids that we're not going to get to see it till sunday because we've got we've got a bunch of stuff going on friday sean has got a christmas party on saturday and i think we're going to end up like hiding from all social media and spoilers until Sunday and then go see it. I think that's where we're yeah. at. Yeah. Well, I, I will have to say you will be seeing it earlier than me. If oh, you no. see it on Sunday. Oh no. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have a tradition, uh, okay. in Seattle. 
is every year I go to the Cinerama, which is my favorite movie theater in all of Seattle. It's absolutely fen- phenomenal. And they have chocolate They have chocolate popcorn. I get a 50-50 mix of chocolate popcorn, normal pop- popcorn. Is it because Cinerama sure. sounds like Futurama? And that's exactly. every hipster's favorite cartoon? And it is a super Cinerama, too. It's the only super Cinerama in the entire world where they play sometimes Futurama. Um, and uh, so it's an amazing movie theater. It's like they play one movie at a time and that's it. And they have um, Paul Allen owns it, and he oh, nice. brings in movies from his own personal collection and, and and outfits and things like that from his own personal collection from the movies, which is cool. And it's a great um, super high tech movie theater. So I love to go here. Right? I think it's even better than IMAX. It's just my like a real IMAX. I think it's better. And so I buy six tickets every year for me, Heather, and then four of our friends. And every year, two of those friends don't show up. They yeah. just don't. So we have – it's kind of nice because then you have a nice buffer because they're assigned seats. Is it the same two friends or a different revolving two friends? The same two friends. Okay. It might be time to us reconsider your relationship with these friends. And I, that, we'll save that for yeah. off the air, but, you know, you get it. Exactly. And what has been happening <clears throat> is said friend will go with his company uh, beforehand to see it. So he'll be like, oh, I already saw it. I'm like, you know, I got to go somewhere or whatever. I go, oh, fine. So anyway, so the problem here is like when the tickets went online, I'm like, I got to get them. But since they're assigned seats, you just don't buy it for a night. You have to pick the seats. So that means I'm not uh, going to go on Friday and get super crappy seat just to yeah. get it. So I got Tuesday, which is a little bit longer than I wanted. But we got super good seats. Like I'm right, really right happy about it. Um, but said friend, suh, with an S at the end, said that they are going to come. And if so, really? they will have already seen it twice. But – they said that they're still going to come. So we'll see if okay. it if, – I, I don't believe it until they see it. But Heather and I on, on Hype Train, we were talking about what wardrobes we're going to ye- wear, what accessories, what earrings right. she's going to wear. <laughs> this reminds she- me of my – first of all, I thought that might end with a twist ending. So, Danny, there's a seat available. Buy your ticket. You're coming to the center. No, I'm kidding. But my my friend who always did that, and it reminded me when we were teenagers when, uh, when Star Wars really first bounced back onto the scene with The Phantom Menace, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it actually wasn't for the Phantom Menace. I think it was for the second or even the third. It was for one of those, you know, th- those were always highly anticipated. And uh, Paul, a friend of mine, childhood friend, which I was always just obsessed, now lives in L.A. trying to become an actor, actually. Uh, but he was always that guy. I mean, he showed up dressed as a Sith. He showed up, with, you know, with his full, full, you know, functioning lightsaber, uh, short of the ability to, you know, cut through cement walls i mean this thing it glue it glowed in the dark you know and then it would just is it glowed or glued it glowed 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 in the dark and uh um and at one point right before the movie starts he would always turn it on it makes those zoom sound right and like gets all big so he was always he was always that guy in fact he was so much that guy that i think for the second one because we did this every time for the second one, we got in line a little late and he was kind of butthurt about it because he was pushing us to get there at like 11 a.m. And we were refusing to. All of us showed up mm-hmm. at 3 p.m. He he was he's so much that guy that rather than say, all right, you know what? I was right, but I'm still here to do this with my friends. He was like, screw you guys. And he found a way to cut ahead of the line and he went and sat individually in the middle of the theater so that he had a great seat. He was that lonesome dude who gets in between people and like is not afraid to wander up into the middle of the seats. And all of us were stuck in like the third row and we could see Paul up in the middle row and he just didn't even care that that he was, he's that guy. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of the best of you do have that great seat. I'm just saying. No, I, I don't. I mean, in, 
at the time, I kind of thought like, you know, what? what? Come on, dude. Like, get over it, whatever. Like, sit with your friends. And then at, yeah. later, I'm thinking, you know what? In a Genius. movie, there's pretty much nothing more private than just sitting by yourself in the dark and watching a movie. I, I don't know that you would want to be social with anybody. Mm-hmm. So what the what the hey, right? So I yeah. can't really begrudge him. That's so I love it. Oh, man. I, I'm excited, though. I'm not going to – I mean – I'm I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited for it, but I'm I think at this point, you know, I've decided that day one releases, like 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 standing in line doesn't really ex- excite me anymore in yeah. general. Like I've been over Black Friday forever. Like I right. just can't even be bothered anymore. Um, I just can't. I don't know. I just can't do it. I'm just like eh, the only whatever. time to me what made last year fun is that it, it was a great environment. We were going to an AMC and there were some bars around, some good food. We had enough people that we could leave the line and they could hold your place. People took turns to eat and have drinks, and it honestly was a really fun afternoon. By the time we hit the movie, we were all sharing a little bit of a buzz. Everyone's in a great mood. If you can do that, I, I would I would recommend that. But again, that is totally. You make the city standing in line the experience itself as much as the movie. It's not like Black Friday. I, I'm totally with you on we're too much of a world of convenience and want it now. I mean, Amazon Prime now exists. So I will never <laughs> wait in a line again in Black, on Black Friday. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Man, I can't believe it's almost Christmas. That's, that's bananas. I mean, yeah. it's, everything's coming. Now, let me tell you something, Danny. Talking about standing in lines, because Heather and I did stand in line recently. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to the – Phoenix Science Center, but I don't think this exists there, so it doesn't matter if you've gone anyways. Okay. But at in Seattle, we have the Pacific Science Center, which is our our you know science center. It's like our science museum. Right. It's a science museum. Get it. It's a it's a center of science. And you know, they have the things that you would expect, like science and um um planetarium type stuff, right? They have that type of stuff stuff. But they have this thing that that is my favorite thing in maybe all of Seattle, and it's a laser dome. Okay. Are you with me so far? No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, real lasers. Right? Real lasers. Um, because you had me thinking of this because of the lightsaber. Okay. Um, if you, if you just type in laser dome Seattle, it'll be the Pacific Science Center laser dome. And here's okay. what they do it, <laughs> It's a dome of 80 feet in diameter. It's the largest and most and longest operating domed laser theater in the world. And they pump out 15,000 watts of digital surround sound. And they have all sorts of shows like Laser Sia, Laser Kendrick Lamar, Laser Pink Floyd. And they have a live laser DJ. Okay. Oh my gosh. That is like DJing this thing, which is crazy. So we went to go see Laser Sia, which is really good because we love Sia and we've seen her live, which is super cool. So like we stood in line for that. It was like a, a, you just get in line, you buy your tickets online, but stand in line for it. So we waited like 10 minutes outside. But you go and you bring blankets. This is the fun part of it because it's not like going to a theater where there are seats inside, but in the center is a big open area and you bring blankets and pillows and you just sit down and you look up and you just, you're, and there's like fog machines and there's like there's lights like on the domes, but then lights like c- almost coming at you like above your head that are like almost like you're at a EDM just they crazy show. They don't give anybody any sort of hallucin- hallucinogenics to f- contribute to this experience, right? I'm sure. Everything. We have thought about, <laughs> it about sounds, that. It sounds like a, like a nightmare <laughs> rave I once had, you know. Um, it really is. That's amazing, we, though. We went to Laser Sea, and at the end, go, what, the one guy that was, like, laying down, he gets up and goes, whoa, that was, that was wicked. 
<laughs> like in that in that tone though. Whoa. Right. Like that literally Keanu weird. Reeves like, you know, incarnated and <laughs> Exactly. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Not quite as uh, you know, uh right now. I I wouldn't call it a sharp left turn. It's it's not quite as relevant as a lightsaber right now, but I do appreciate a good laser dome. Good laser um, dome. <laughs> story and experience. Imagine if you brought your kids to a laser dome, it would blow right. their minds. No, like, it does. I there I don't think there exists one here in in Arizona in Phoenix, at least not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Laser well, dome. You guys got to come to Seattle, just saying. Yeah, no, we we're we're building up the lit. It's almost like a tab we're building up on reasons to visit Seattle, so I need to I need to make that happen. But I I before I forget, I had to share so we were talking about uh the kids earlier and i mentioned that nash was busy this week with basketball right um Mm -hmm. and so tryouts are over and the big news drum roll please nash made the team whoa nice congrats he made the team pretty awesome has nothing to do with his dad helping out coaching okay don't don't even go there um but uh no really he's he's borderline like almost a starter and he just like he just operates with a like like super confident as you know about Nash like knows what's going on but also like really insecure in some ways and mm. you know <clears throat> so he wasn't sure but he did make the team and all that was good but the the thing I'm sharing here is not about Nash but about one of the most difficult parts of this week was yesterday when we had to we had to make cuts so uh. I just like I can't even explain I become a borderline hypocrite of all the things I've preached as a, as a chess coach and as a trainer and as somebody who, you know, has really enjoyed and studied sports psychology. And I talk about this a lot with education and, and, uh, just the way you deal with, with, with different kids and the proper ways to provide criticism and allow them to sit sometimes when they, when they're actually dealing with something that's hard for them and not always try to make it easy for them. But when you're like cutting kids and dealing with like tears, it is like, we had to cut almost 20 kids from the eighth grade tryouts, and we had to cut about six or seven kids from the seventh grade. Mm. And me and John and Jimmy and Jason, yeah, a bunch of J's, I just realized that. John, Jimmy, and Jason are the other coaches. Um, we belabored over this, and it's just so hard, and especially when the kids know each other. But, you know, it it had to be done, but I just have to share, like, as a parent, dude, not only... Okay, it's hard because Nash knows all these kids and it's just hard because you've been invested with these kids. So many of them were coming to open gyms and really trying hard, but they just they just don't quite have it. And um you don't I'm not really in the belief system that you always have to like cut somebody either. Like I don't operate under like a ruthless thing, but I think that it, it's it's a weird catch twenty two as a parent where you 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 want your kids to distribute the characteristics, the attributes of someone who's persevered, the someone who's learned to pick themselves back up, the, the someone who's dealt with hard times, someone who's basically gotten something through hard work and dedication, not a handout. You want them to distribute all these like moments where you feel you've grown, you know, when you had like your teeth kicked in, right? But if this, then you spend all your time desperately trying to avoid letting your kids experience failure. And it and it's just this like really strange dynamic, right? I mean, you want them to have all these characteristics of somebody who we describe would be like, wow, like that person is like, you know, represents something I consider to be strong. But it's like so hard to put kids in that position where you basically tell them, you know, for lack of a way to put it, that they failed at something. Yeah. You know? Anyway, so that was just a really difficult part of my week. And thanks for thanks for listening to my my internal struggle with that this week. Absolutely. That's what I'm here for, to be honest with you. You know, that's what this is. I mean, a lot of people don't know I'm secretly paying you for this podcast just to let <laughs> me ramble and, and be therapy, uh, be my be my therapy. But 
You know, it's true. I, 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 I like, I even had a, I was on somebody's podcast years ago as a younger guy when I, when my kids were little. And I think I, if I listened to it now, I'd probably sound, I just like, I feel like I just have so much compassion and empathy for the difficult situations of dealing with your kids as they grow now, as I'm now really doing it. You know, your kids become real people and there's always those sort of tough moments where, you know, you just experience that, that they're, they're going to struggle and they're going to be upset and letting them do it. And like the part of you that desperately wants to like put them in a bubble, but at the same time wants them to have these strong characteristics. It's really hard. I mean, honestly, it's just, it's just difficult. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. Oh man. There you go, man. That's so. life. Sorry, Sometimes. did I did I did I take it too much of a left turn there? Did I did I kill your mood? You see, you seem a little down now. No, I think it's I think it's good. I think uh, you know that's life. I think. I know you're like whatever. Just cut the kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, no, and ultimately we do cut the kids because we made the decision. It's the right thing to do. And and here's the thing: like you have to have the team that has the best chance to win. And it's not just because winning is the end all be all, but winning. Winning is the the culmination of a bunch of things that are the end all be all. Like the people who win more, guess what? Are the people that worked harder, that were more dedicated to their craft. Often the people that were willing to take more criticism, the people that are better at what they do win more. So it's like it's like one of those things where like the biggest lie ever said by the passive aggressive dad in T ball is I don't care if you win, just do your best. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. That's the biggest bunch of BS ever. And the kids like see right through it. And it's just not true. And, and But I like to say that the reason winning is important is not because the result, but because those who win more often are distributing all those characteristics that really are important. You know, your dedication to something and, off, and that's really the truth. And um, I think the catch 22 is you often win more when you are able to focus on the process, not on the result. But that's like a whole nother thing about sports psychology and how you keep yourself kind of focused in the moment. But mm. um, so don't get me wrong. We cut the kids. All right. Believe it or not, <laughs> I was ruthless by the end. We do need to win, but it was still yeah. difficult. Still. Di I mean, I couldn't imagine like it's I was I've been I've been on the other side being cut. So, you know, it is. What hey, it is. we all brings have. me back. Is it because it brought me back to my child? Maybe that I was wondering what happened to you there. I feel like I either went to uh, Danny. Danny goes deep. Danny, we should have like a like a sound effect for Danny goes deep and, and ruins wah, the flow. Want, want, want. Or if I, if I started giving you flashbacks, <laughs> maybe I was giving you flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, uh, both. A little bit of both. I think is what happened there. Oh, my goodness. Speaking of flashbacks, it seems like every show and their cousin now subscribes to this theme of flashbacks ever since my boy J.J. Abrams invented it with Lost. I mean, we don't tell John Locke what he can't do, but yeah. but what I'm going to tell you you can't do anymore is these producers stop having shows where like you're everyone's going into flashbacks and memories. We were, we were watching this Amazon show. It's it's the first Amazon show we watched called The Incredible Mrs. Mabel or something like that. It's very good. And it's set in like the 50s about this uh, uh, woman uh, who her husband like cheated on her getting a divorce. But she's she's like really hilarious and she's very like on point on everything. And she's a comedian. She, she's a stand up comedy. Um, and she didn't even know she was good at it. But she just got up and was doing open mic. It was like crazy. Really good. It's, a, it's an amazing. It's a really great show. But then they do these flashbacks all the time. And one episode just opened as a flashback. And if you missed like the opening sequence, it was a, we're like, what time and I, what just happened? And like, they're doing all these flashbacks all the time. It was very confusing. Like the show is very good, but I agree. There's like, like why, why, why are all these like flashbacks in the middle of the story that like, I don't, I don't need well, it to. I, I think, I think with lost, it was something that really 
contributed to the overall mystery because the overall all the conspiracy theories were like you know is you know what is this place right is this some sort of paradigm right are they in you know in one of those middle ground zones a purgatory right like why are we showing their real life are they dead on the island and then everything that happened in regards to their you know their their dealings with the island and the spiritual journey that was lost uh you know still one of my favorite shows although i need to watch it again uh, because only, i've only seen it once start to finish and i wasn't super happy with how it ended but i've been told by many other lost aficionados that i'll enjoy it better the second time so that's on my that's on my tdl my to-do list um but but now here's the thing james it was used then as part of what made Lost Loss. Now it's used to make up for bad writing. It's used to cover like storyline holes or it's used to provide like background into characters where they can't just like leave the mystery with a character enough. Like, and, and maybe this doesn't, you know, apply to all shows, but I've used it. I've seen it used when like they don't want to leave the mystery of, of why someone is and this or that or this or that and the other thing happened, but it's like a flashback just like covers everything that they didn't have time or the the talent to like write into the show as far as being left to like the the uh, the intelligent viewer who kind of surmises that this is an issue with this person's character or something you yeah. know yeah so that's that my theory hmm. completely unjustified theory <laughs> completely yeah i like that well is that another sound effect potential bwah, bwah, bwah. completely unjustified theory by danny right it's uh any hooters so well that's all I that's all I had on my on my brainwaves today, buddy. I, I feel like I, I shared, I vented, I I like to think I reflected, and I like to think I was open to what you brought to the table. So what do you think? I I, I concur. I think I think that all those things very much true. And I'm glad that I got to talk about lasers and that was very important. <laughs> this and might be the first ever uh podcast where we talked about lasers, isn't it? I think I so. I think we talked a lot about Alpha Zero, but and we sure never did. about lasers. Yeah. And lasers are sweet. So lasers are pretty sweet. I'm still waiting. I did get LASIK, you know that, right? Whoa, did you? Yeah. It was a while ago, but oh, I, I don't I, I don't never knew that you didn't have I didn't even know that you had glasses. Yeah, I had glasses there for a while and, oh. and but I'm like I love my LASIK. It was one of the best focused. things I ever did. I've always thought about it. I've I've had Good. friends that have done it, but I, I you know, I used to wear glasses in high school and then I stopped. I wore contacts. I had glasses and then contacts. And then I just stopped. And they were just like, yeah, you're good. Like they were like, they're like, they're like I, I got really healthy. I started eating a lot of broccoli and carrots, I guess. And they're like, yeah, you're, 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 you so healed you went the, yourself. Uh, you went the natural medicine route, or as I like to call it, the witchcraft route. I did. I, I witchcrafted up. <laughs> you um, witchcrafted yourself better to better, better vision. I like that. Yes, exactly. That's what I did. Yep. All right, Danny, I think it's going to do it for this week. Uh, anything else that you want to um, no, ting- besides tingle my ears with? No, besides and, oh my um, goodness! Mm. Give it, give H Town my best. Uh, we'll have a we'll have a podcast next week. A special surprise for you. Uh, we'll record the podcast next week. I like that. I'm yeah, excited. You we'll and both, the listeners, we will both be able to give everyone our Star Wars teardown. We won't. We'll, we'll wait to record until I've seen Star Wars, Danny. Yeah, no, that's okay. a good idea. That, it may be a special episode, Star Wars teardown, and then we'll touch on other things that happen. But I'm we'll all, we'll all be we'll bring in a lot of information about Star Wars next week. Boom. All right, buddy. Well, you can find this show everywhere on the interwebs. Go to blunders.fm. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast application. If you can do one thing for us, just tell a friend what you think about this podcast. That would be phenomenal. Yeah, just give them a little, hey, hey, check out this. You like coffee? You like tech? You like, do you you love chess? Because Danny really loves chess. Yeah. If you go do that, boom. Um, (laughs) That'd be awesome. 
All right, buddy. I'll talk to you next week. All right, love you.